0: Just a reminder. <laughs> okay, the story is told of um, two men dressed in pilot's uniforms. They walk up the aisle of a jet, both wearing dark glasses. One is using a guide dog, and the other one is tapping his way along with a cane. Now there's a nervous laughter spreads through the cabin, but the men enter the cockpit, close the door, and the next thing you know, they hear the engines firing up in the cabin. Now the passengers, they begin glancing nervously around, searching for some sign that this is just some type of a practical joke, but there's none forthcoming. The plane moves faster and faster down the runway. The people sitting in the window seats are looking out and they realize they're headed straight for the water at the end of the runway. As it begins to look like they're about to plow into the water, people in the cabin start screaming at the top of their voice. And just at that moment, the plane lifts smoothly into the air. Passengers relax. They all laugh a little bit. They grab their magazines, in the knowledge that the plane is in good hands. Meanwhile, this conversation's taking place in the cockpit. One of the blind pilots turns to the other and says, You know, John, one of these days they're gonna scream too late and we're all gonna die (laughs) and I thought you know there there's a point there and the point is we all need to be warned of unseen dangers before it's too late you know and throughout Luke's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus Uh, we have witnessed over and over again the danger in being blind to God's truth. We've seen the religious leaders who uh, because of their own agendas were blind to the true identity of Jesus of Nazareth, that he is indeed the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David, the only Savior begotten of the Father. We've also seen that even the disciples were blind as to this truth. But now as we come to the end of our study in Luke, we're gonna see a group of people who were cowards at one time now on fire for Jesus. And today, I, I, I need to mention that today is the 86th message in this series of messages. And I often hear people talk about how they, you know, they, 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 look, they, they look for miracles from God. And you know what? And there's miracles happening all around us every day the fact that we all got up this morning is a miracle the fact that the universe is still in order is a miracle but there are other miracles that we see that maybe take place before us and we don't even recognize and i personally want to give god all the credit and the glory for the fact that this is the eighty-sixth and final message in this study and through everything that i've personally gone through in the last year and a half or so god has sustained me he has upheld me, and he has given me his strength that I've not missed one, uh, one Sunday in this series of messages. And, and he gets all the glory and credit for that. So anyway, w- with that in mind, uh, turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 24, and uh, we'll take a look at what happened, what was the turning point in the lives of these people who were at one point cowards, and now we find them fired up for Jesus, or on fire for Jesus. Jesus. Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 36, we read these words. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all the things which were written about me in the law... And the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God." From this passage, we're going to examine three things that help us understand this remarkable transition or transformation that took place in the lives of the disciples. And the first thing that I want to point out to you is that, you know, in verses 36 through 43, the evidence for the resurrected Christ would change their lives. As the disciples, if you'll notice in verse 36, as the disciples all gathered together, we're told they were telling of these things. And if you recall from uh, from the last couple of times that we met, you know, what were they talking about? Well, they were talking about, you know, the empty tomb. They were talking about the angels that were there. They were talking about the angel rebuked them and said, you know, what are you doing here looking for the living among the dead? You know, they were talking about the fact that, you know, they went to prepare a body and there was no body. They were talking about the fact that, you know, Jesus appeared to Peter. The two from the, the road from Emmaus, the two disciples, they went running back and they were telling this group that was there, the rest of them, about everything that Jesus had taught them about the Old Testament and how everything focused on him. And he had gone through the law and the prophets and the Psalms and how everything is woven all throughout Scripture to point to one central figure throughout human history. And it's the person of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And they're in the middle of all this, and you can imagine how excited they are talking about all these things. And the couple, you know, on the road to Emmaus, who had them come into his home, Jesus blessed the bread. And when he blessed the bread, he revealed himself to them so that they clearly understood who he was. And maybe they saw the wounds in his hands or whatever it was, but they knew without any question that it was Jesus alive after he had been murdered and buried. And they went running back to town. They couldn't wait to tell everybody that was there assembled. And so here's this old group of people, and they're all trading stories, and they're excited about everything that's going on. And in the midst of all of their stories, as if God's timing isn't always perfect, which it always is, he's never late, and he's never early, <clears throat> he's always on time, on time, in time, every time. And, uh, and the bottom line is, is that in the midst of this conversation, as if the ultimate exclamation point, Jesus appears. Now, you would have thought that would have ended the whole conversation. It's like, and there you you have it. (laughs) You know, it's like everything, and there he is. You know, it's like, here, here he is. And the problem was, is that, you know, as we see this, immediately he lets his desires be made known to them. And while they were telling these things, he stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace. Be with you. The Prince of Peace stood in their midst, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to earth to offer a peace treaty between God and man. You know, going back over Luke's Gospel, one of the earliest accounts is that it began with a multitude of angels praising God, saying this Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom God is pleased. And the question is, what must man do in order to please God? And the answer is very simple. You got to accept his peace plan. Jesus came with a peace treaty offered from God himself. He came on a specific purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost, to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so he came to offer peace, because the Bible says that you and I, all of humanity, is born into the world at enmity with God, that we are enemies of God because of sin nature because of a rebellious heart. And it becomes evident in our actions. It becomes evident in our attitude. It becomes evident whether or not we submit to God's will in our life or we want to do our own thing. And so what's pleasing to God is that you and I accept the terms that God offers us to have peace with God. That's who's pleasing to God. That we need to recognize, first and foremost, that we're all sinners. And you need to personalize it. It's, it's easy to generalize it. Oh, you know what? All, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. You know, and, and make it, you know, abstract, distant. Yeah, the world's messed up. All you have to do is look around and you can see it. But no, God wants it personalized. Because for you to have peace with God, you have to personalize what I'm about to say. God wants to offer peace to you through Jesus Christ and in order for you to have that peace you have got to recognize that you are a sinner. That you put Jesus to death on the cross. That you are at enmity with God. Once you recognize that then the Bible says that we are to repent To turn from our sinful ways, or selfish ways, or stubborn ways, or wrong ways, or whatever you want to call it, because people get hung up, they don't like to hear the word sin anymore in our culture, but the bottom line is sin just means we fall short of God's standard, which is perfection, and we're not perfect, so that, you know, and then you must repent. You must turn from sin and turn to God, and you must respond by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ. Christ. Believing that he died on the cross for your sins. Believing that he rose again from the dead. Believing that he is alive today, extending this offer of peace to you. And the Bible says at that point that you are to receive Jesus, him, as God's peace offering. That you would receive him and to those who receive him, we become children of God to those who believe in his name. John 1.12 so the offer is there and we find our peace through jesus christ turn with me to the book of ephesians chapter two in ephesians chapter two we see this theme very clearly drawn up for us in verse thirteen but now in christ jesus you who were formerly Far away or far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, Jesus, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. See, Jesus Christ is our peace with God, should we choose to accept him as who God claims that he is. The only way that you and I can ever find forgiveness with God. Now, going back to the book of Romans, chapter five, we see the same thing in in verses one and two. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace, in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Don't miss that. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no other way to have peace with God. Before moving on, a very personal question. Do you have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ? And a more personal question. When did you sign that peace treaty? Or at least what were the circumstances surrounding your acceptance of God's terms to come to peace? See, what's very frightening to me is that any of us could be deceived into believing that we somehow have a relationship with God through faith in Christ And not really know that for sure. I think of all the great battles throughout human history. And I think about where those peace treaties were signed. And I think about who was present. And I think about, you know, the cameras that are there. And on the deck of this aircraft carrier or that aircraft carrier. Or in a certain city or whatever. When peace treaties are signed, everyone that's involved knows exactly where they were when they signed that peace treaty. And it's one of the great deceptions from the pit of hell that would have us believe that we can have a relationship with God and never know when we recognized our sinfulness, when we repented of our sin, when we responded by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ, and when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And see, God wants that to be extremely clear because how can you be at peace with an enemy and not know when, why, how, and where you've come to that agreement? It's just, it's, just, it's an illusion. It's deception. And so my challenge to you is, do you really have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ And the question is, if you're not sure, then you need to get right with God today because the offer is still being extended. See, peace be with you. Could you you want to hear any more beautiful words than that from an enemy who you know could crush you? Think about that. Think about being an undermanned army about to be crushed by the enemy, and the enemy says, because you've surrendered, you know what, peace be with you. We're not going to crush you after all. And I, you know, I don't know if we realize this or not, because we don't talk much about it in our culture, but you know what, God, God is going to crush people. He is that rock that will crush people. Those who reject God's peace terms will be crushed by God. At judgment. Those who accept his peace treaty, his peace terms, trusting in Christ and him alone for the forgiveness of sins, then the Bible says, peace be with you. We now have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is no longer at enmity with us. We are no longer at enmity with him, and we will no longer be crushed by God, for sin and, and God's judgment or wrath upon us. It's a wonderful place to be to know that you have peace with God. You know, and, and, and I'll tell you what, as, you know, as, um, as I look forward and as I, as I look ahead and as we all do to what God has in store for each one of us, but to know that we can stand at the, at the, um, at the uh, doorway of death to leave this life and go to the next And to know that you have peace with God through your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is priceless. I mean, you you can't buy that. You can't work your way to that. It's something that God offers and extends to us and either we accept it or we don't. And for those who do, he says, peace be with you. Isn't that great? And it's never changed. Repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved now instead of peace notice this the disciples at this point anyway were troubled and in turmoil and if you look at verses uh, 37 and 38 we'll see why notice this but you know here we go contrast instead of having peace what they were troubled well why were they startled why were they frightened well because they thought they were seeing a ghost Now. In verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, don't miss the irony of this. Remember, they'd been telling their version of how Jesus was alive. And when he stood in their midst, they thought that they were seeing a ghost. Uh, later in the book of Acts, one of the funniest passages that I can think of in Scripture is they were, they, all the disciples were gathered together and they were praying that Peter would be released from prison. And uh, when God released him from prison, he came running back to where the disciples were and knocked on the door, and they came to answer the door, and they looked, and they saw that it was Peter, and they slammed the door in his face. <laughs> it can't be Peter. And they went running back inside and said, well, who was at the door? It was Peter. Well, it can't be. We're praying that God would release him from prison. That can't be him. You know, and, and sometimes that's the way we are. It's like we pray, and God answers a prayer a certain way. I go, no, no, that can't be, because we're still praying about it. Well, you don't have to pray about it no more. You know, but that's not what happened. And so, you know, their root problem, notice this in verse 38, their root problem was doubt. They questioned the reliability of God's word and the strategy of the enemy found all the way back in the garden is to call into question the reliability of the word of God. And notice once once we doubt God's word, we'll be troubled. Turn with me to John chapter 14 real quick and we'll see how Jesus answers uh, the same dilemma that the disciples had as they were troubled about his departure. Jesus was telling them that he would be leaving them and they were troubled. And the question that I have for you as you turn there is, are you troubled, are you lacking God's peace in the midst of an ongoing trial in your life? Then listen carefully to what Jesus had to say to those who were such troubled. He said, let not your heart be troubled, but believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but through me. Notice what his answer was. If you're troubled in life and you have no peace, then you need to believe in God. Trust in him. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he went on to make promises to them and said, you know what, listen, just because I'm going away doesn't mean you should be troubled because it's all part of the plan. And I'm going away and I'm preparing a place for you. And in my father's house are many dwelling places, so there's going to be room for everybody. And I'm going to come back for you that where I am, you will always be. And so, you know what, stop doubting God's word, but put your faith and hope and trust in God and in his promises, so back to Luke chapter 24, what happened was is that they, began, they were doubting the word of God. And the cause of their doubts in this particular case is they couldn't believe their eyes. I mean, they had the head knowledge of what God's word had said regarding his arrest and his death and his burial and his resurrection. But it wasn't a reality to them. So what does Jesus do and very graciously look at his demonstrations His demonstrations to them, he said, You know what? Wait a minute. Here, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself. It's really me. It's really me. He said, Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you got anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. What he's saying was, you know, you've heard that I'm alive and now here I am and in God's graciousness, he still provided further evidence. He said, look, here's the wounds, here's the wound, touch me, come here, give me a hug. I mean, can you imagine, oh, that had to be great, you talk about getting a God hug, it's like, yeah, you know, touch me, handle me, you know, here, you got something to eat, let's eat together, and I want to show you how this changed their lives forever, the evidence of the resurrected Christ changed their lives forever. Turn to Acts chapter 10. In the midst of the gospel presentation, Acts chapter 10, verse 37, notice this. As Peter's preaching the gospel, he said, You yourselves know, Acts 10:37. the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism with John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the power of the Holy Spirit, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things he did, both in the land of the Jews in Jerusalem, and they also put him to death by hanging him on the cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, Not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. And of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. John would later write in 1 John, he said that, you know what, that which we saw and that which we handled. It was so important to Jesus to get across to them that he was not a ghost. He was not some kind of a spirit, that he was the same Jesus who died on the cross, was the same Christ who was raised again from the dead. And Peter was so convinced of this that he said that, hey, we ate with him. We spent time with him. For 40 days before he ascended into heaven, they met and they talked about the kingdom of God and everything that was going on. They were absolutely 100% convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and is alive today and every one of them except for John died a martyr's death. All these cowards who ran away from, from him when he was arrested and weren't there when he was crucified but at a distance, every one of them except for John who God graciously allowed to die at an old age, but he was exiled on Patmos, whole nother story. But the bottom line is that 11 of them went to their deaths proclaiming that Jesus Christ is alive. And we know it, and you can't tell us different because we spent 40 days with him, we ate with him, we touched him, he taught us, and you know what, we saw the wounds, and there is no question whatsoever. And you know what, and nowhere else in the Bible Is there any indication from this scriptural text on that they ever doubted that truth again? Ever. They were sold. And that's why they were on fire for Jesus. Because they knew he was alive. And think about this. The greatest fear that they had, the greatest fear of all of humanity, is that we die someday. But you know what? But when you know that he was raised from the dead, the first fruit, then there's nothing to fear because you know what? He's alive And you and I will continue to live after we die physically. It's just a question of where we will spend that eternity. And that's the subject of my new series. In two weeks, I'll talk more about it in a second. But back to Luke, you know, where Luke describes a perplexing emotion. Notice this. It was so good for them to see Jesus that it was hard to believe. Do you ever experience one of those moments in life Maybe, you know, you proposed to, to your fiancé and she actually said yes. And, and you were stunned by that. Weren't sure how it was going to go, but we're pretty sure because, you know, no guy likes to go out on that limb unless, you know, you've already got pretty much a good feel what's going to happen. But you're kind of stunned by that, you know. Or, or the birth of a child. Or, you know, you get a clean bill of health after a long term of being ill. You know, Or I I remember specifically, now that it's baseball season and we have our first chapel today, but I remember specifically sitting in the clubhouse in the locker room after the Angels won the World Series and uh, sitting around with a bunch of the guys looking at each other going, did did that just happen? (laughs) And it's like, oh, come on out here. And then here, hold this. And holding the trophy and taking pictures. It's like, did that just happen? I mean, there are times in life where things happen that are so surreal that they don't seem like they're happening. And that's the, the, the emotion that Luke is trying to convey for us, is that, you know, it, it, they were, this was so amazing to them. It says, and they still could not believe it for joy and marveling. This is so good, it's hard to believe. And that's what their struggle was. But anyway, once this was resolved... And the evidence of the resurrection was quite convincing. Once this was established, it led to the exhortation from Jesus that reveals clearly what all believers are to do. And there's three things that stood out as I was going through this. I want to go kind of through them one at a time. But he says, now in verse 44, Jesus said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Notice this, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And the first point that he makes is is that we must recognize the supremacy of scripture. We must recognize the supremacy of scripture over everything else in life. See, because what was happening is they couldn't even believe their own eyes. They couldn't believe their own emotions. They couldn't trust their own feelings. And you know what? Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Who can understand it but God? The bottom line is this, is that our relationship with God, Jesus emphasizes once again, has got to be found on the word of God and not on our experiences alone. Because experience alone are very dangerous. And that's why we see so much confusion in our world today. But I saw a white light, but I sense a peace. And you hear people with near-death experiences and things like that. I saw the white light, and I sense a peace. And you ask them further questions about, have you ever repented of your sins? Have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you believe that he is the only way that you will ever find peace with God? Oh no, but I felt this peace. I saw this light. I sensed this presence. And you know what? And the Bible says, hey, listen, the devil can appear as an angel of light. He is a deceiver from the beginning, he is a liar, he is a murderer, and the only thing that keeps us from from falling into that illusion, that deception, is to be grounded in the Word of God. See, and that's why Jesus went back there one more time. And notice this, it says, and he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. See Jesus didn't want their faith founded upon their experiences alone. Did they eat with them? Yes. Did they communicate with him? Yes. Did they hug him and touch him and feel him? Yes. Was that all important as part of the evidence that was laid out? Yes. But he opened their minds to understand scripture and he went through the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms and he reiterated for them as he did for the disciples on the road to Emmaus that this is all founded upon God's truth and you can trust it. See, that's why we encourage Bible study. And that's why right at this point, some of us are going to get very uncomfortable because I'm going to ask you a very personal question. How much time do you spend studying the Bible? How much time do you spend being grounded in the Word? How much time do you spend reading the sports section or magazine, or, you know, fictional books. You know, it's not a question of whether, you know, there's time, because I always hear people say, oh, you know, I'm so busy, I don't have time. You know, and it'd be real easy to sit down with you and just show you how we could carve out a whole bunch of time out of your day by eliminating other things that aren't as important and making this something that is important. So that's why we encourage the study of the Bible, Because our faith has to be grounded and rooted on the word of God. That's why when Dave starts his study Wednesday night, we want to encourage everybody who who wants to be there, book of Philippians, to be grounded in the word of God. That's why next Sunday after the service from 10.30 to 11.30, we're going to have a new series in the multi-purpose room that will be on the foundation or the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Do you really know what you believe and why you believe it? Have you ever been in a study like that? It's critical. It's essential because God will use that foundation to build more truth. One of the best, things that ever happened to me when I first repented of sin and responded by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ and received Him as my Savior was I went through a one-on-one Bible study with another believer who was further along in his walk with God than I wasn't at the time. So we can go through and we memorize Scripture and we went through the Bible and I was able to ask questions and things like Operation Timothy and things of that nature. That's why the Women's Bible Study focuses and centers on the study of the Word of God. That's why MOPs and all our children's ministries and the junior high school and the high school and everything that we do centers on teaching the Word of God. Because if you don't know God's Word, you don't know what you think you believe. And it's all based on that. And so my question still stands, and that is this, are you actively involved in the study of God's word, beyond just showing up for a Sunday sermon. Because if you were just eating one meal a day, you'd start looking like me. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, look, you know what? If you're going to survive spiritually, and I'm going to survive spiritually, we need to dive in the word of God. And so that's my challenge to all of us today is to really examine your schedule, examine your heart's desire, examine your passion. But you know what? There is no excuse for God's people not to be in love with God and his word and spending time studying the word of God. Ezra 7.10, my favorite verse, Ezra dedicated himself, committed himself. It was set in stone that he would study the word of God. He would live it, and then he would teach it to others. And that's the right order. So one last thought. You and I cannot touch and feel Jesus today, nor is it necessary that we should do so. But you know what? We can rest our faith in the word of God, and you know, that pleases God. And if you jump to John chapter 20, here's a perfect example of this. When Thomas doubted that Jesus was really risen from the dead, and he said, I won't believe it until I touch him myself, this is what Jesus had to say to him and to us. John chapter 20, verse 26, and after eight days again, his disciples were inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. I like that. There's an emphasis there. And he said to Thomas, who I'm sure wasn't feeling that peace right about then, reach here your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side and be not unbelieving but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. You know what? Thomas would recognize the day that he accepted God's peace terms with Jesus. This would be a day he would never forget. When when did you come to, you know, have peace with God through your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Oh, the day I doubted him, he showed up behind locked doors and said, here, touch me, feel me. And I just dropped to my knees and said, that's okay, it's not necessary. (laughs) And he went on and he said, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Now, here's here's it for us. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Why? Why? because we believe the word of God to be true. We believe what he says is true. We don't have to feel him. We don't have to see him. He doesn't have to do anything for us. He's done everything and it's revealed in his word. And so that's why no matter what God chooses to do in my personal life regarding my health, it doesn't matter because I trust him, because I know him. He's revealed himself in his word very clearly to me. And I believe him. And so the last thing back on Luke chapter 24 is notice this in verse 47. He said, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So what he was saying is, is that we are to reach the world, the world with the word. That we're to, to be witnesses And that we are to, it's not just some catchy phrase that we put on our bulletin and things like that. It's a command. It's what we're supposed to be doing. We are commanded to proclaim by our words and by our deeds that repentance and forgiveness is found in Jesus' name in his name alone. And reaching the world with the word isn't just, you know, something that we say that we should do. This is the great commission. You are to go into the world Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts of the world, what we would say is right here in our backyard and throughout the world, we are to reach people with the gospel, and the gospel is very simply this that men everywhere must repent of their sins. And you don't hear that very much. You always hear about receiving Jesus as Savior, blah, 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 but you know what? But the gospel is repent to turn from sin and turn to God and recognize that forgiveness will be found in no other name or by any other authority than the name of Jesus. That's why that name is given among men by which men can be saved and no other. That's why at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of God. That's why it's all about Jesus. And the enemy always wants to somehow or another say, it isn't about Jesus. It is about Jesus, and even the cults that are out there on the street corners like to tag his name and associate it with their belief system because it draws people in. Oh, you believe in Jesus, but what do you believe? He is not a God, a man who ascended to godhood. He is not an angel. He is not a teacher, a good man, any of these things. He is God in human flesh, crucified, died, buried, raised again, and is alive today and offers forgiveness to those who repent and believe upon him for the forgiveness of sins. And we have the responsibility to go into the world with that message. And you know what? And we can't do it on our own. That's why he says in verse 49, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from high. What is he saying? He said in John chapter 14, he said it again in John chapter 16. Listen, you know what? You and I can't win anybody to God. Period. That's why Paul said, I don't come with persuasiveness of speech. Salvation is never found on the end of an argument. You and I are not God's prosecuting attorneys who go into the world to try to condemn people for their actions. This world's condemned already. We are witnesses who go into the world to proclaim the excellencies of God who have called us from darkness to light. I'm not here to slam you for the choices that you're making in life. I'm just here to tell you that, you know what? That God, in his mercy and grace, has taken me from darkness to light. That by trusting in Christ, I have found forgiveness of my sins. I have peace with God through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God wants to offer you the same peace with him if you will just repent and that you will trust that Jesus died for your sins and rose again from the dead and receive him as savior. That's God's deal. It's on the table. Do you want it or not? know, we're not to run around beating people up. You know, they're already condemned. They already know that. We're to proclaim Christ and him crucified. And we're to be very clear about the fact that, you know what? Witnessing is not something that we do for the Lord. It's something that he does through us, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's where we can all relax and realize that you know what? The power comes from God. And we all have a testimony. If you've come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have peace with God, then guess what? You have a platform to reach people that will relate to your story that can't relate to mine or this person's or that person's, but God has us strategically placed in unique places so that we can share God's love with others, that they need to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and they shall be saved. And the last point is that the exodus of Jesus resulted in two continual actions by his disciples, and there are two actions that should be true of us to this day. The word exodus means departure, it means to go from one place to another. In the ascension of Jesus, which Luke gives much more detail in his other book, which is the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, we're told that he ascends into heaven, and they stood there and they were watching and they were gazing, and, and the angel said, don't worry about it, what are you doing, stand there, you know, the same Jesus as he left he will come back again and so we learn that where he went that he from to where he went he ascended into heaven he is seated at the right hand of god the father he will come from there again one day for his church he will come again to establish his kingdom here on earth and like i mentioned a minute ago uh, in two sundays not next week but two sundays i'm going to start a new series of messages uh, that have to do with what you and i can expect Uh, after the the moment that we die and we enter into the next life. Those who have trusted in Christ what we can expect, those who have not trusted in Christ, what they can expect. And it's something that God has put on my heart, obviously, because of the situation that I'm in, but it's also something that I'm excited to share because when we understand what lies ahead, it gives us the endurance to do the work that God has called us to do today. It's not in any way escapism from the reality of day-to-day life. It's to give us the endurance to be the witnesses that God would have us be in between this life and the life that's to come. So, but next week, I'm just gonna do a single message that that I need to do to finish up a series. But anyway, uh, back to Luke, and we'll close with this. What are the two things that they did? Number one, they continually worshiped Jesus. And the reason for it was simple. After they saw him resurrected, after they spent time with him, after they heard him teach, and then when they saw him ascended into heaven, they couldn't help but go back to the temple and praise and worship God because he surely deserves and is worthy to be worshiped. You know what? Now, I'll guarantee you this. If every one of us would read the word of God and look at Acts chapter one and the picture of Jesus ascending into heaven... It will change our whole hearts and attitudes when it comes to worship. He is worthy to be praised. And they continually worshipped him. And what was the second thing they continually did? They continually, continued to witness to their community, to, to where they lived, to the people they worked with to the people they lived with, to the people they came in contact with in the marketplace, they couldn't help but tell people about Jesus. They couldn't help but tell people how to get right with God. They couldn't help but tell people that you know what, we live in a world that's so confused that you think you can work your way to heaven. You think, you know what, there's no greater conversations. Linda and I were spending some time yesterday and there's no greater conversation to spend time with somebody who, when you ask them a question, you know what, when you die, what's gonna happen to you? And they say, I hope I go to heaven. And man, I'll tell you what, that's the most beautiful conversation. Hope based on what? Let me tell you something. Wouldn't you like to know that you could go to heaven? Wouldn't you like to know that you have peace with God? Wouldn't you like to know you have eternal life? Wouldn't you like it if people could just eliminate all the guesswork from this? But you know what? God has eliminated the guesswork. And he says, he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And these things I have written to you that you may know you have eternal life. They worshiped. Continually, and they witnessed because they had a burden in a heart for those who were on their way to hell. Outside of faith and trust in Christ, there is no other way to get to heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Dr. Luke's eyewitness account of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the perspective that He gave us as a physician as He looked at so many details of just the human condition as we saw Jesus heal diseases and and raise people from the dead, as we saw him demonstrate great power, his identity as the only savior of the world. Lord, we see lives who were once cowards are now transformed and they're on fire for Jesus. They can't wait to tell others of God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that this world can have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if we would just submit to God's peace terms. God, I pray if there are those who are here that aren't sure, that they would recognize that they must recognize their own sinfulness, that they fall short of your standard of perfection, that no one's perfect and they're not perfect, that they would repent and they would turn from sin and turn to God and that they would cry out for your forgiveness. Believing your word that says, if you would just trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe upon him, you shall be saved. That he died on the cross for their sins, for our sins, for all who believe. He rose again from the dead and is alive today and extends forgiveness to all who come to him and receive him as Lord and Savior. And God, as we are born again by your will and not by our own human efforts, may we be on fire for Jesus as we continually worship you and praise you for what you have done in our lives and the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. And may we be witnesses of yours, simply telling people very clearly what it is that you have done in our lives through faith and trust in Christ. And Lord, may we reach this world with the word of God and the power of your spirit. And may you draw all men to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.